And now, Fastened Like Nails with Dr. Mark Hamby. for another Fasten Like Nails. And in the studio with me today, I have Molly Mayo. Molly, welcome. Hello, thank you. Okay, so Molly, we're going to talk about the first wisdom lesson, Proverbs 1 through 9. Mm-hmm. And previous to this, we've discussed the introduction or the introductory paragraph, mm-hmm. verses 1 through 6, and why that was an introduction to the 12 lessons of wisdom that's found in chapters 1 through 9. And, and before we really start, Mm-hmm. I think it's important for the folks that are listening to know that Proverbs 1 through 9 is like a story, or it actually is a story mm-hmm. that a father would read to his son, telling him about the 12 lessons of wisdom. And each one are progressive. It starts with the foundational lesson, and then it moves mm-hmm. to where by the time you get to the third lesson, um, you know, it deals with correction, it deals with knowing who your friends are. It deals with knowing how to search for the hidden treasure of God's knowledge and truth and wisdom. And then when it gets to the very center, it's kind of like the midway of his education. And that's where things get intense. Mm. That's where the father starts to prepare his son to know where his values are. Does he have the right valor? Does he have the right virtue? Is he going to be able to have the stamina and uh, be able to handle all of the things that he's going to come across in life that are going to be challenging and that's when he lets it all out in chapters 5 and 6. Chapter 5 is actually a hinge for the whole book. Cool. The first four chapters are like his elementary education, mm-hmm. and then chapters 5 through 9 are kind of like you go from junior high to, you know, to graduation, oh, wow. getting that's, ready for his postgraduate work. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. In the center of it, it turns from things that are more innocent— to things that are more, the temptation becomes extreme. Mm-hmm. We're going to look at, you know, two types of women that will come his way. You know, the, the Zor, the Nicolay, these are the women that are going to try to entice him sexually. So mm-hmm. the father doesn't bring this stuff up in the early stages, but he does after we get through the midpoint where the father says, she's coming after you. You better be ready. Wow. So like what changed at that point? What changes for the son or what changes in the scripture? What changes for the son? So like before, like you were saying, there's the elementary education and now he's getting older. And is it just like there's an age shift or like you said, hinge statement? What does that look like? Yeah, it's where, well, chapters four and five are actually almost identical. Oh, uh, So what happens in chapter four is repeated in chapter five. Is that like more in depth or? It's more in depth, but it's also in the, the beauty of how it's written and mm-hmm. how it means. So the whole book. You know, what you find in chapter one, you find in chapter nine, what you find in chapter two, you find in chapter eight. Oh, cool. Like eight. a frame. It's it's like a mirror image. The first half Ooh. of the book is repeated in the second half of the book. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah. I wasn't, I, I don't remember that from, oh, which really? there was so much that yeah, we were learning in the Proverbs class. Yeah. But so when you get to chapter cool. four, you're reading it and, you, and then when you get to five, you're like, oh, wow, I just, the same stuff <laughs> I'm getting like deja vu. happening in chapter four. Yeah. Nice. And, but what happens in chapters five, six, and seven Mm. is so intense. When you get to seven, she becomes like, she's coming after him in the dark. She's got dark clothes on. This is the Zor or the strange woman? The Zor Zor. is the strange woman. Mm -hmm. She comes after him. She is stealth. She comes seeking after him in such a way that she's taking no prisoners. She's going to get him. 
and she's going to destroy his life. But that's to ahead. be continued. <laughs> yeah, to be continued. So we got to start at number one. So let's start at lesson number one Da-da-da-da-dum. and find out what that is right after that introduction of mm-hmm. the first four individuals who are in- introduced to us, and mm-hmm. they are the simple, mm-hmm. the youth, the wise, and the discerning. Mm-hmm. And then we have this interesting statement that's kind of like in between the introduction and the next lesson, the first lesson, and that is the statement that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools, introducing the fifth person, fools despise wisdom and correction. Seems kind of random. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting statement. It, it, it What it does is it frames chapter one with chapter nine, mm. because in chapter one, you have the fear of the Lord's the beginning of knowledge. In chapter nine, you have the fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. Mm. So the son has got to get to a place where he obtains wisdom, mm-hmm. but he'll not be able to obtain it unless he is able to pass the first 11 tests of wisdom. Ooh. It's kind of really... so exciting. Yeah, it is. And what, what we have here, this framing of the fear of the Lord on both ends mm-hmm. is so extremely important. God is teaching us through just even the formation of the wisdom books that if you're going to understand his love or enjoy his love, you have to first learn to fear him. Mm. And that's what this lesson is all about. This is the foundation for all of life, for all of our children, for us as adults. If we do not fear the Lord, we will not gain the knowledge that is necessary and essential Mm. to live a life that is worthy and um, a life of beauty, skillfulness, enjoyment, um, and worth. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Okay, so what is the fear of the Lord? Very simple. It explains itself in chapter 6 and chapter 8. Um, to fear the Lord is to hate what God hates and to love what God loves. Oh, nice. Okay, so Proverbs chapter 1, huh. verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and correction. So the simple should be coming, the youthful gaining knowledge. Mm-hmm. So the, the simple who are easily enticed, you mm-hmm. know, they, they're thoughtless, they're simple-minded. They need to grow in discernment. And the only way they can grow in discernment is if they're willing to be corrected. If they're, Once they're corrected, they become more knowledgeable. The knowledgeable become more wise. The wise become more discerning. But if they refuse the responsibility, and this is, this is important, if they refuse the responsibility to gain the discernment by becoming obedient, then they will become a fool. So this statement, the fear of the Lord, mm-hmm is what's known as a hinge statement. Exciting. Another hinge statement. Yeah. And which means is it closes out the introduction. So the introduction introduces those four people, mm-hmm. simple, youth, wise, discerning. And then it closes it out with this incredible statement, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Each one of them needs knowledge. Mm. They need the knowledge of God in order to grow. And God tells them, if you want to gain my knowledge, and what person wouldn't? want the knowledge of God. Mm. Think about it, Molly. Everything in this world that we have, if it's just the knowledge of man Mm. and it's not eternal, then why would we want it? Why do people go to school and study theory that's, Mm. you know, evolutionary theory or or theories that just, I mean, they're, they're, they're doing mathematical theories right now that just defy common sense. And, um, and so I, I say to people like, let's, let's obtain the knowledge of God right now. I could study the Bible for a million lifetimes and never get everything out of it. 
Mm-hmm. So let's have our focus there because when we do, then our mind is set more on who this God is and what he requires of us. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you know, our our goals, our values will be more heavenly minded in the decisions that we make. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we avoid becoming a fool. So this hinge statement closes out the introduction and then it sets us up for lesson number one, which is, I think, the most important of all the wisdom lessons. Mm. And it's my son. And each one of the lessons start off with my son. Mm. My son, um, hear the instruction of your father and don't forsake the teaching of your mother. Now, in, in Hebrew, it actually says it more clearly like this. It says, my son, obey the correction of your father and don't neglect the Torah of your mother. Mm. That's the very first wisdom lesson. And it's interesting that it comes very simply to all of us. Listen mm. to your parents. Listen to what they're teaching you. Listen. They may not be right all the time, but mm-hmm. God puts, places a premium on what our parents... Because if you don't get it right early on in life with your parents, then you're not going to be able to really get it right with God. Because mm-hmm. that's where God places the, the original training uh, in our homes, it starts with how we listen to our parents. Mm-hmm. And how we submit to authority, too. Yeah, Because ultimately, you know, God's our authority. <laughs> but, you know, he uses people. And I think that's probably true for people that God puts or allows to be in government or in um, places of authority like bosses or managers mm-hmm. or whoever. Yeah, submission's important. But also, if, if there's a child that's not maybe a teenager or young adult and they didn't have a good relationship with their father. Mm. Let's say it was a horrible relationship, abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. What could happen? And it, the the young people that I know that are going through this, I have got one that's a transgender right now, and others that are living an immoral life, mm-hmm. you know, drugs, alcohol, etc. Um, but what happens is they place the blame on their experience as a young as a child, mm. pass the blame on the father. A lot of fathers can't; they just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. When they pass that blame, then they start living a life, an immoral life, because they're trying to they're trying to fill the void in their life mm-hmm. because of what they felt they missed. Yeah, I definitely can relate to that. Um, I think usually with those some of those moments in your life where maybe there's like a really deep hurt or something that is hard to process. You know, maybe there's maturing or growing that needs to happen before you fully heal from that. But you can go like one of two ways. And like you said, you know, the temptation is to be like, I have this huge hole. And and so I'll just like cover it up or fill it or try to like stuff whatever I want in there. And that's painful. Uh, But then then there's the opposite. Like, well, they were like that and I'm going to be completely the opposite. And, you know, obviously don't take anything too far. But if it's like, you know, I was lied to a lot as a child, you know, then, oh, you know, I'm going to be honest because I know that that's. That's the way of truth. That's the way of blessing and fulfillment. And, you know, I, th- I think I think it can work the opposite way, too, which like here in Proverbs, you know, we've got that you're, you're talking about the hinge statement and there are all these people. You can go one way and be like a fool and a mocker and a scorner or you can go the other way and be, you know, wise and discerning and all of that. And so you're going to come across those hinge statements, those moments in your life where you're like, well, I have this. What do I do with it? And that's kind of like the challenge, I guess. 
It doesn't have to be bad, you know? Like, yeah, if you can't obey the correction of your father, then what are you going to do? So for me, so I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm extremely weird. Let me tell you why I'm so weird. So I, I have some major hurts in my life, in my childhood. Mm. Um, deep wounds. Um, deep wounds in my teenage years and deep wounds in my young adult years. Um, I mean, I, there's one situation as a child that, um, wow, it's, even when I think about it right now, it could overwhelm me, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. Um, and this is why I'm weird. When I got saved at 22 years old, mm-hmm. my salvation experience was so extreme. And when I say extreme, I went from death to life mm-hmm. in, in a split second. I went from night to day. My eyes were opened, and I got to see God's amazing creation suddenly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw the stars and the moon and then the sun rising. Mm-hmm. I saw the trees and the leaves on the trees and the bark on the trees <laughs> and the green grass. I saw color for the first time, and I saw, I saw life for the first time. I felt life for the first time. And I was forgiven. Mm-hmm. My, my forgiveness was so magnanimous and so deep and wide that at that moment, everything in my life permanently changed. It didn't change briefly. It, it's been 45 years. It permanently changed me mm. um, in such a way that the, the hurt is like a scratch compared to my great salvation. Mm my forgiveness. So I sinned against a holy God. What I did against God was so much greater than what people had done to me. And, and when I recognized that I was the one that crucified Jesus on the cross, and when I recognized how much he was willing to forgive me and allow me to become one of his children, that moment, Molly, changed me so drastically that I have no reason to hold on to anything. Mm-hmm. The other day, I was um, we were we're building building a house right now, and one of the construction workers um, he had asked something to be done with some of the other construction workers that are there. He wasn't he wasn't real clear, um, and he had asked me to oversee it. Well, I'm the general contractor, and you know, I've got to go. Sometimes I got to go Home Depot or Lowe's and get some stuff and come back. And that day, I had gone three times mm. to the city to get to get materials. And the people that were working, you know, I I I had told the main guy what needed to happen. Mm-hmm. They we had seven people working there all at the same time. And you know what what happens is, you know, people forget. You know, everyone gets moving forward. We had a great day, and and some people actually forgot to do some things that this other contractor had requested. And it could have been really bad. I mean, because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we couldn't find some of the electric wires inside the, the drywall. That's what could have happened. It didn't happen, but it could have. And uh, he came in the next day, and he was livid. Mm. He was screaming and swearing and... 
and I wasn't there to hear it, but I um, they got me on the phone, and I could hear it on the phone, and it was terrible. And these these construction workers, they just you know they they're they're really nice men, and um, I've never heard a vulgar word out of their mouth. They work well together. They work well for me, and I felt like they went through that because of me. I should have. I, I should have been there, and you always inspect what you expect. And uh, I'd say 15 years ago, mm-hmm. no, 10 years ago, I would have gone to this guy who let them have it, and I would have let him have it. Mm. And I would have told him never to step foot on this property again, and I would have just let him have it. But instead, we got the situation fixed, and I called him and uh, told him that everything was good to go, took us about an hour and a half to fix the mistake. Mm. And uh, he was gentle as a lamb. You know, and everyone's got their problems. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think it would have been helpful for me to, you know, if I would have been on his case, you know, he would have gotten fired and we'd mm-hmm. find somebody else. But I want to have a relationship with this guy. And mm-hmm. so so people that are always blaming other people, you know, we've, we've got to be able to look through the lens of God's forgiveness mm-hmm. of what we received. And when we do that, we can cut people slack mm-hmm. uh, because they're just like us. We've had bad times, bad moments. Yeah. And so we've got to be able to live in light of God's amazing forgiveness. So, Molly, that goes all the way back to what happens when a child doesn't have a good parent, mm-hmm. a father or a mother. Um, I, I know a lady. I know this couple. They were happily married. They have nine kids. Okay. Mm-hmm. When they came to church with all their kids, they just looked like the model couple. Mm. And one day, the father, husband, woke up, walked over to the kitchen to get his coffee, and there was a note there. And the note was from his wife, and it said, I'm sorry, but I can't do this anymore. Mm. Don't look for me. It's been 25 years later. The kids are all grown. Mm. They've never heard from their mom since. That's crazy. Isn't it? So those kids will grow up now. They're grown up, and they have that amazing hurt. Yeah. But the beauty of it is that when we receive Christ, the very first promise that he gives is, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. Yeah. You know, so he takes the place. So we don't, we don't, we don't look at other people and blame them. We don't, we, our, our hope and our, our security and our fulfillment is not in other people. It's in the Lord entirely. And so God comes to us and says, number one, learn to fear me, because if you fear me, you're going to understand how the world works. You're going to understand. You're going to love what I love and hate what I hate, and you're going to gain the knowledge of God. So that's mm-hmm. that's the hinge statement. Fear of the Lord's beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and correction. That's how you gain the knowledge of God, by willing to be corrected, mm-hmm. which brings us right into the first lesson Obey your father's correction. Ah, do you see that? Mm-hmm. You have to obey your father's correction. And don't neglect your mother's Torah, your mother's teaching. Why does it place the father's response? Why is the father responsible for correction? And why is the mother responsible for Torah teaching? Mm, that's a great question. <laughs> well, I think it's, I think number one, I think that, that God sees the father's role as one of corrector. Um, lovingly correcting his children. Um, the mother's role, especially when they're young, 
is primarily that of teacher. Mm -hmm. She's the main influencer of her children, teaching the Word of God, teaching about life. She's she's naturally a nurturer. Mm -hmm. The father is more naturally a corrector. Except today. Today, we have these roles not only reversed, but I would say almost obsolete. Mm -hmm. We don't have fathers lovingly correcting anymore. They, the father seems to be relinquishing his role to the wife. And the wife seems like she's not doing the kind of correcting that the father should be doing. And they're allowing children to grow up without any kind of correction. And the Bible teaches that a child that grows up without any kind of correction will eventually become a fool. Mm. So that's serious. So God, the very first lesson that he places in the book of Proverbs, the wisdom lesson number one, is simply obey your father's correction, which means fathers, you have to learn how to fulfill that role. Mm. In, in Malachi chapter four, verse six, the very last verse in the Old Testament, it says to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. And if this doesn't happen, I'm going to come and smite the earth with a curse. The Old Testament closes out with a parenting <laughs> That's verse. That's the last verse of the Old Testament. I'll yeah. smite the earth with a curse. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It, it, uh, it ends in curse and the New Testament ends in grace. Oh, my. That's that's beautiful. Yeah. But wait, New Testament ends in grace. Isn't that revelation? Yeah. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't expect that. Oh, yeah. I would expect it. I mean, I wouldn't expect the end of revelations to be grace. Oh, yeah. I would expect that. Because if the Old Testament <laughs> ends in curse, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus hangs on a tree to pay for our sins mm. and replaces the curse with grace. That's really beautiful. Yeah. And so... But the last verse in the Old Testament is a parenting verse. Mm -hmm. And what is God trying to do? To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Mm -hmm. God is trying to help us as adults, as moms and dads, to see that one of our most important roles in life is to help guide our children to know this great God and live a godly life before him. Mm -hmm. Because that sets up all eternity. We're only living for give or take 70 years, plus or minus 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then you got eternity at, at, you know, to look forward to. Mm -hmm. So prepare our children for the next life more than this life. And what happens next is so incredible. He says this, don't neglect mom's nurturing of the word of God. Don't neglect mom's teaching of the Torah. Mm -hmm. And so moms out there, they need to understand that their primary role is that of nurturing the scriptures in a child's young life, mm -hmm. getting them to memorize it, having her memorize it. Have you ever heard of Susanna Wesley or Susanna um, Edwards? Mm -mm. So Susanna Edwards. Is this Jonathan Edwards? Yeah, wife? it's his wife. Oh, wow. Okay. I think they had 11 kids. I don't know how many. <laughs> they had a lot of kids. That's a lot. Okay. So Susanna, his mm -hmm. wife. <laughs> they had such a they had a very strange relationship. Sounds like they're uh, both kind of strong parents. The Jonathan and Susanna? Mm -hmm. Actually Jonathan was rather um aloof. Oh. He rarely knew what was going on in the home. Um he had all these kids, but he was kind of like his head was stuck in heaven most of the time. <laughs> he was always studying the scriptures. Huh. And it was said about him that he had no clue what was going on. In fact, Susanna was the one chopping wood. 
she was the one milking the cows. Hmm. Jonathan rarely did domestic work because he was always studying the scriptures. But guess, mm-hmm. guess what? Mm-hmm. Susanna believed that that was her calling. Wow. That her calling was to provide an environment for her husband where he could just study the scriptures. Cool. I, I, I don't know. Maybe. I, I think so. You know, God had raised both of them up to come mm-hmm. together. and. I mean, I'd be down for that. <laughs> okay, cool. So when Susanna had an issue with one of her children, mm-hmm. I read I read this biography of her. It is in this biography. It says this: that when one of her children mm-hmm. had a stubborn spirit, rebellious spirit, lied, or was disrespectful, or was having an issue with one of the siblings, where they weren't being kind, she would stop all of her domestic activities. She would stop the household. And she would not allow anything to be done until that child had come to full recognition of their sin and became repentant and was fully restored. She would not do anything else for the, even if it took the whole day to achieve that end, she would not do anything. And she said this, and I, I really love this. She said, we were able to move forward far more in our spiritual journey, exercising that parenting style than we would have if I had done the dishes and the laundry and not dealt with the sin of my children. And so um, her children, except for the daughter, except for the oldest daughter, they became lawyers and mayors and governors and vice presidents, and they were um, highly esteemed in society. Um, they both of them did a great job with their children. So that that role of mother being the teacher is so important. Mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't mean a father doesn't teach and doesn't mean a mother doesn't correct. But those are the primary roles. Mm-hmm. And Molly, we're living in a day when um, young parents, uh, they abrogate their their responsibilities. For those of you who don't know what abrogate means, <laughs> we looked it up and we actually found this word. It's to treat as non-existent, to fail to do what is required. Mm. So it's kind cool of word, the huh? idea. Yeah, yeah. abrogate. Yeah, so while Use it with your friends. We, we had just took a moment to look up the word because I said abfuscate and that wasn't it, but <laughs> abrogate. Like to confuse, which was ironic. Yeah. So, so we li- relinquish, we mm-hmm. let go of the thing. And when we do that, we we actually disconnect from God. Okay, so this actually reminds me of, there was a time, this can sound random, but when everyone at Lamplighter, I heard of this, it wasn't when I was here, but everyone decided to try out everyone else's roles. And so you'd have like someone in marketing in the bindery doing things with glue, and everyone was just kind of like all over the ministry swapping roles. And it's like... I don't know, taking a building block that's a square and trying to put it into a circle, and it's like it doesn't quite fit, you know? And so, I mean, why would someone whose passion is making books and they're like, the Lord just, they call, he called me to make books and I love it and it's amazing. Why would they go into the marketing room and spend the whole day trying to make themselves love writing marketing? And why, like, God has given these amazing roles to each of us in whatever capacity that is for whatever season it is. Um, but I think it's really beautiful that when you are fulfilling, it's not like something like I have to be, I have to correct as a father. Like you don't have to think about it all the time. Mm. If you're walking with the Lord, you know, he's going to like 
make that, you don't have to force it. And when you're doing it, like I've seen that in my own life when I'm not fulfilling a role versus what I am, like there's this freedom and just like this, this release where it's like, whoa, this is what it looks like. And it's beautiful. I I think also that, especially for young fathers out there, Mm. um, they have to learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that fathers don't know how, obviously they didn't have an example, some from their own fathers. Um, You know, I did my best as a dad and (laughs) I fell way short. Uh, I wish I could do it over again. Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish I could do it over again. I would be much more graceful if I could do it over again. We were raised in a church. We got saved at 22, children two years later, and uh, we didn't understand grace, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, my son received more law than grace, and as a result, it pushed him away. And um, so if I could do it over again, I would be, um, I'd be more loving yet firm and allow much more grace. And... Um, that's how I would do it differently today, mm. um, but not not let someone get away with sin. Mm-hmm. You're always dealing with the sin, but you deal with it more lovingly, um, and you know apply correction when needed. I would do a lot less spanking <laughs> and a lot more correcting. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons I couldn't do it was because I didn't have the self control to deal with the sin of my of my son. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw him, you know, becoming disobedient and going against the rules, whatever it was, not being kind to his sister or brother, it bothered me so much that I would be out of control when I would discipline him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has to come first. We, as young adults, we have to grow in knowledge and wisdom and self-control and virtue and godliness because if we're raising our children and we're out of control, then they're just going to model our behavior eventually. And and that's going to, they're going to see the hypocrisy in us. And so that's going to cause them to not want to submit to our authority and not want to respect us. Now, I'll never forget, Jonathan said to me at 15 years old, Dad, if your life lived louder than your words, I'd follow you. Mm-hmm. That was a tough one. It's convicting. Yeah, it was very convicting. And, and it, it did change me a little bit. Um, and But one of the beautiful things about God in this life that he's given us to live, it's never too late. You know, you continue, you you never stop being a parent. And so um, hopefully these latter years in my life, mm-hmm. hopefully my children will see the genuineness of my love for them and the exhibit of grace and mercy and mm-hmm. unconditional love. That's what That's what my goal is for the rest of my life. And hopefully they'll see it by my love for their children. Mm. my grandchildren. So so fathers who didn't have the kind of role model that would allow them to you know fit right in as the as a parent today, um, one of the reasons that uh, young men as parents are unable to be effective parents or even young moms, it's because of four main roles that are out of order. And what happens is, Let's say that you had a father that was dictatorial or a mother that was dictatorial or a mother father that was enmeshed or a mother father was that was detached or a mother and father that was indulgent. Let's say that you had a parent that was dictatorial, my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more rigid, okay? Um, mm-hmm. What happens is 
you become more disconnected as a child. Mm. And then... Making it about the rules instead of the heart. Yep, exactly. Or let's say that you had a parent that was detached. You came home and the, the father was either out golfing all the time or he was in his room studying or on a computer and the father was just detached from his children. Or the mother, let's say that she's on medication or she's having some issues and she's just never there for the kids. She's helping the kids do all the domestic responsibilities and she's just not there. Would that go for like if someone's from a divorced home? Yes. A parent that's just not there? Yeah. So so let's say that you were raised in a dictatorial home. You're going to be more disconnected because of the rigidness of your parents. Let's say that you had come from a detached parenting situation. Then you're going to even be more disconnected and there's going to be more permissiveness in your life because you didn't have rules to follow. I mean, this is the n- not a standard, right? Like, This is what generally happens to people. If you were raised in a dictatorial home, most likely, um, unless you're saved and you know you're growing in the Lord, most likely if you're raised in a dictatorial home, you're going to find ways to break the rules. Mm-hmm. And you're going to treat other people abusively. You're going to treat other people. You're going to take advantage of other people because of the way you were treated. Um, that's what happens when you're raised in a, in a rigid, rigid home. If you're in a detached home, then you um, don't have any rules to follow. And so you live a life that is uh, very, very permissive. And um, you're, um, you, don't, you don't have any real rules that are governing your life. And so you live a little bit more of an immoral, uh, liberal life. But let's say that you have an enmeshed parent. Now, an enmeshed parent, it's where life depends on convincing others they can't live without me. So I could make one of my children feel like, you know, I come home and I've worked hard, you know, and I'm like, hey, um, hey guys, I'm, I'm not feeling real well. Can someone get my medication? Um, um, hey, guys, uh, let's all stay together tonight. Dad, I'm going to go over. No, hey, let's, 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 let's watch TV tonight. I, I'm bringing a movie home. We're all going to be together. And so there's a parent that never wants their children away from them. They feel empowered when they have people close to them. And so they use all kinds of manipulative maneuvering to get the family to stay close to them because they can't live without them. At least that's how they feel. That's an enmeshed parent. Or you might have a father who he didn't make it in sports, but he felt he should have. Now he starts living his life through one of his children, and he brings him to every football game in the world. He gets him on a football team. I know of a parent that actually did this. Um, they they um, went to college. They made it on the football team, but he didn't make it on the first string football team. And he felt like he was the quarter. He should have been the quarterback, but he never got his shot. And, um, and he's he's a great athlete. Now today he's in his fifties, and he still looks back that he didn't get the shot that he he still he talks about his college time of football. Um, it was one of the Ivy League schools, and so his son now is ten years old. His son is the quarterback of the team. He's the coach. He's in a major football league for young kids. Molly, when I went to see one of the games, it was awful to watch. He's living his life through his son. His son, if his son gets hit, he's going to end up in the hospital. He's just a skinny little kid. He's really good. But his father has been teaching him football since he was three. 
Mm. You know, so the father is an, has an enmeshed relationship with his son, living his life through his son right now. You know, we, we've got to be able to trust God enough that we don't hold on to these hurts that causes us to become dictatorial, enmeshed, detached, and the last one is indulgent. Now, some parents, they, they feel that life depends on indulging others so that they can be accepted and appreciated. And so they, they just keep giving things to their kids. They give them anything they want. And none of these styles of parenting work. Um, the dictatorial um, parent can create a dutiful, compliant child. But it creates convincing them that they're someone they're not. You know, so the dictatorial parent becomes dictatorial trying to make others believe that they're someone that they're not. And so the dictatorial parents got to come full circle and realize, like, you know, why am I acting this way? Why am I trying to control other people? And I think, and I was like this myself, I was a dictatorial parent. The reason that I was like that, and I think the reason most people that are dictatorial are like that, is because they live in perpetual fear. They're afraid of losing the people that they love the most. And so they can't trust God enough. And so they put restraints and constraints on other people because they don't want to lose them. And so you got to be really careful with becoming a dictatorial parent. An, an enmeshed parent is someone that um, life depends on giving power and responsibility to others. So you abrogate your responsibility because um, you would rather, um, as an enmeshed parent, you would rather give this child everything they need as long as they don't detach from you, as long as they're near you, because that's where you find your fulfillment. So that change won't depend on you. Once you're stuck in an enmeshed relationship, you don't want change because you don't have the strength to actually create that change. And that all of these come down to trusting God and finally surrendering everything to God and placing your children in the hands of God. He loves them far more than you do, and mm -hmm. he will protect them far more than you can protect them. Um, you know what's interesting? You can't protect a child in a sleep when you're sleeping. Right. You've got to trust God while you're sleeping. Mm -hmm. So it's the same type of thought. I've got to be able to trust God. So the, the detached parent, um, he becomes more... He creates a distant, defiant relationship. Life depends on getting what I want without depending on anyone. So this is the t detached person. Um, I don't need you, and I don't need anybody. I'm going to get what I want as long as I don't have any responsibility in this home. And then lastly, the indulgent parent creates a manipulative, irresponsible child. Life depends on giving me what I want without asking anything of me reward without responsibility. And so, uh, you know, I, 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 I look at these um, four styles of parenting, and we've got to be really careful that we don't fall into those categories because God is the ultimate example, the ultimate mentor. And Psalm 103 says it all. You want to read it, Molly? Yes, Psalm 103. It's, it's where we learn about God's parenting style for us. And um, it's, it's everything that a parent needs if they just follow this example. 
Okay, Psalm 103, and this is 1 to 18. Mm-hmm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, and who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Wait, did you hear that? Slow to anger. Yeah. Abounding in mercy. So that's, I mean, you're already describing the type of parenting that we need to model Mm -hmm. for our children. And we get it from God. And God is our what? Father. Yeah. 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 So when in doubt, turn to Psalm 103, Mm -hmm. and that'll remind you of how we're to parent. That's beautiful. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Mm, that's He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. That's yeah. so beautiful. How often do we deal with our children according to their sins? Mm-hmm. You know, we need to be able to, you know, look past, you know, I, I, this is very interesting. Um, Jonathan and I were, you know, he was my son, and we were having some real difficult times when he was a young teen, and uh, I ended up going to get some counseling. The counselor said, uh, you're in a war of words. You're fighting the wrong battle. And I said, interesting. He goes, you need to release the reservoir of hurt from 16 years of a dominant father who has been forcing his child to obey. He goes, he's never seen your heart, and he's got all this pent-up frustration. He goes, all you're doing is focusing on the words that he speaks. You find, you find his words so intolerable and so offensive that you can't reach his heart. And for years, I'm, I was always dealing with, with Jonathan's words. And his words were a result of me being a dictatorial forceful father that he didn't see or sense genuine love and grace and mercy from his father. And so after building that reservoir of hurt for those 16 years, he now is acting out in frustration and, you know, a demonstration of like, I don't want to do this anymore, dad. And so what was happening is that every time he would say something that was offensive or disrespectful, I'm right on his case, because the one thing I hate more than anything is disrespect. And so there was no room for him to breathe, and things kept getting worse and worse and worse, and it just kept building up until finally I got some counseling, and the counselor was like, Mark, you're the problem. And when he explained to me that Jonathan needed to have some release, I needed to let the Mm -hmm. reservoir of past hurts be released in his life. Mm-hmm. so that I could reach his heart, that he would be willing to expose his heart to me. I'm, Molly, it was almost immediate. I remember I remember we were having a little bit of conflict. He said something I didn't like, and I remember, like, I'm not going to respond. And he was like, hmm, interesting. Dad didn't respond. And um, we had this major conflict, and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry for being angry. I, I'm, I'm really wrong. 
several times I started coming up to the plate and saying like, hey, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really sorry. I can't believe I've been talking to you this way. And I'll never forget this one time. He let me have it after I apologized. And I just listened and I said, you're right. I'm really, really sorry. If I could do it over again, I would. And um, he was like, you frustrate me, you know, and, and he walked away. Later that night, he came back to me and he goes, hey, I'm really sorry for treating you that way. They're just words. And all of a sudden, the war of words stopped in our relationship. And he started to, I started to watch the reservoir of hurt start to be released little by little by little. And finally, we were able to have some heart-to-heart conversations. Mm, it's amazing. Keep reading. This is, we're, we're learning about God. This is how God treats his children. Mm. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. If he did, we'd be dead. Yeah. Right? We would be not in existence. Uh, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who mm. fear him. Wait, wait, that's amazing. Okay, so not just anybody, but those who fear him. How did we start this podcast? Fear of the Lord. Yeah. If you don't understand the fear of the Lord, you're not going to be able to have the kind of father-child relationship that you need. It starts there. And what does God release when you have that kind of fear of the Lord? In? His mercy. His mercy. And how big is his mercy? It's great. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Amazing. It's, it's infinite. Mm-hmm. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. In the Hebrew, that word pity is the word for compassion. Mm. And it's the idea, I think, Molly, if you looked it up, it's chesed. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. It's chesed this, is like God's merciful, loving kindness. Yeah. It's unconditional. It's deep and wide, high and mm-hmm. low. It's amazing. It's an amazing word. Yeah. And the only way you'll be able to exercise that is if you first experience it yourself with God. Yeah. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Hmm. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place is remembering it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting Hmm. to everlasting, and those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. That's God's handbook on parenting, Psalm 103. Molly, you're going to be a mom someday. Mm. When in doubt, turn to Psalm 103. Um, this has been um, enjoyable. Uh, I'm glad we got a chance to do this, Molly. Mm. Proverbs chapter 1 um, gives the introduction, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and correction. And where do you get that wisdom and correction? From father and mother. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? Yeah. Obey the correction of your father and don't neglect the teaching, the Torah, the wisdom of your mother. Mm-hmm. And if you do, you will have an ornament of grace around your head, which is honor, and you'll have this gold chain of victory around your neck. That's in verse 9. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't make that up. That's real. <laughs> yeah. And so there's great reward for a child who's willing to listen to mom and dad Mm -hmm. that's the very first foundational lesson of wisdom if you get that right the rest of the lessons will follow and you'll be able to embrace 
less than two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, 10, 11, and 12. And when you do, you'll be able to face the epic battle between wisdom and folly, and wisdom will win. We'll see you next time. God bless. You've been listening to Fastened Like Nails, a presentation of Lamplighter Ministries. Our mission is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord by building Christ-like character one story at a time. To learn more about our family collection of rare books, dramatic audios, or guild programs, visit lamplighter.net. To hear more podcasts, search for Fastened Like Nails wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a question you would like to submit for the Lamplighter team, visit lamplighter.net slash podcast and fill out the form. That's lamplighter.net slash podcast.